Welcome to the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-hour DFS audio masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. Join me this week, uh, a man that has I, has won more than me in the past in the past four months than my, my than my entire DFS career. Uh, who I believe this is the first time you've ever been on on a podcast or a show or anything. Most people know you from Twitter. Uh, you post some stuff on awesomeo.com, typically identifying, you know, like kind of analyzing the 150 maxer type players in NBA, MLB on on, on DraftKings. And right. uh, and 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 you go your chunk yardage on Twitter, but you go as uh huh bro. What is a hub bro? It it makes it sound like a hub bro. Like if people looked at you, it's like I would expect like a 27 year old kid or something like that. Right. And it's like, oh, oh, it's it's like it Peter's it's older not, than me. It's not a 27 year old kid. Yeah. Oh. I chose that username uh back when I started in 2013. I don't remember uh where I got that username or why I used that username. Uh huh, is kind of just like a dismissive thing to say to someone if they're, uh, you know, if they're telling a story, you know, if you have a good friend and you're razzing them or whatever, and they're telling you a story or there's something like that, you know, just uh huh, is to dismiss it. And then the bro, I don't know why I threw in there, but it's you know, once you put it in there, it's set in stone, and uh, you can't change it, so I'm stuck with it. Well, I, uh, you've been you've been on a, a bit of a a hot streak. Recently, yep. but you're but you're not new to DFS. I mean, the uh, the no. fact that you know, I mean, I I followed you on Twitter for I mean probably at least four years or whatever. It's and, been a while. And uh, I mean, I I I even put your lineups up on like Results DB when I do yeah. the pregame show or whatever. So like, if if people aren't are oh they're seeing this name on top of the like we have like the whistles go woo guy, like David, right. like like. He's been playing for a couple of years, but like only in the past year has he really been like maxing out stuff and whatever. So we, we found out that he's not he's not an idiot. Uh, <laughs> he's he's actually he's actually like a professor or something. Uh, but right. but people sometimes come out of the if you're not if you're not Mock Lovin or Awesome O or Ricky D or Brick seventy five like they've been playing for so long that we're used to seeing names on top of the leaderboards. People would think that you came out of nowhere, but, but I mean, you were, you were around. I, I remember seeing you <clears throat> when Manny used to do uh Twitch streams. He, this is even before study minute or whatever. Cause, right. cause, cause I used to check those out. I was never in the chat, but I would check those out uh, because that's the type of content that I like. I mean, that's the kind con- type of content that I create now. And yep. uh, do, can I pat myself on the back? The, the fact that, that you've said uh, on several occasions that, 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 that your game is turned around a, a lot by finding my old Periscope videos? Yes, yeah, that's a very fair statement. Uh, finding you on Periscope a few years ago really did change my game. Um, I did start pretty far back, 20, 2013, according to Roto Tracker, um, and actually started out on FanDuel playing NHL and got into uh, MME on NHL there and didn't like the look of DraftKings, didn't play DraftKings at all. I think about 2016, I made the switch. I got more serious about it, switched over to DraftKings, and um, started really trying to 
to be a better player. But I went through the whole, you know, just reading tout articles and liking who they liked uh, and then, you know, moved on up to trying to get a little more mathematical uh, than Manny Laura's stream. That really did save me in baseball. Uh, I was struggling with DFS, and he kind of opened my eyes on how to play baseball correctly, and that helped. And then, yeah, find, finding you on Periscope uh, was very refreshing because you were different than everyone else. Um, you know, no time for stupid questions, uh, and just and telling it like it is, and and talking about math and probability, and that's what I wanted. You you verbalized a lot of things that were in my head that I knew were the right way to go, but I just couldn't put it all together. So to hear you talk about it, just to listen to you talk about a slate for, you know, an hour makes such a big difference when I'm building uh, with an optimizer. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, you could make the you could make the winning lineups and I can't. <laughs> right? <laughs> like I'm 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 building a hundred lineups tonight also. And it's like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go here for leverage, I'm gonna build a lot of this or whatever. And I'm just like, why the fuck does you have a Willie Adamas one off? Like what the <laughs> How the fuck did you end up with that? And it's not like I don't have Willie Adamas. It's just that I just yep. don't happen to have him in that. St- like, you you look at the lineups and you go, I was in the right place, just didn't have that. You know, the one guy that double-donged as a one-off, you're like, oh, I have him in, like, three lineups. And it's like, oh, but they're in the stacks that didn't do well. And then you're looking sure. at it going, going, dude, this, this, this guy's doing exactly what I'm doing. And, like, well, obviously, like, I play less lineups than you. So that's a, that's a, that's a little bit. I mean, I'm much I'm much more of a nit. Uh, but uh, what what was what was that trend? What was that transition? I think many people that listen to this podcast and and by the course theoryofdfs.com sure. are transitioning from that. Like I, I oh who's who are the good plays right the one v one two v twos. Or like oh uh, should should I do five three or five two one in baseball? Should I should I do three two and like asking very specific things that like like there is no answer to that like well it depends on the lineup it depends on the contest. Uh, yep. How did you how did you transition from like the more mathematical approach and from there do you do you build your own model do you did you go further where you have proprietary things where you're not just aggregating projections and you know doing sims i mean people do sims and do stuff like sure. that you don't have to delve into like your exacts right obviously but is is it going from because obviously you, you can't just go from oh now i get it i'm going to make a model and simulations and everything like you there, there's going to be a progression to doing it on your own but was there like an aha moment there of like here's the game theory of dfs and now i could at least utilize the tools I understand now what projections are. I understand what the boom bust tool is, like what mathematically it stands for and how people will misinterpret that. Mm-hmm. And and then maybe even go further and going, well, I'm going to see if I could do better than even that. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's the progression there I had, obviously. I've never gotten into Sims. I hear Brick talk about them on LOLs. Um, and I know others use Sims. Um, I don't do that. I think I use some tools that are based off Sims. Uh, you know, some of the Osmo tools are, and I think Rotor Grinders probably. Well, I don't know if they use Sims at yeah, all. Slate IQ, that. we we do we do a simulation yeah, okay. of a slate. Yeah. So I love that kind of stuff. So I always look at that uh, for each slate. As for an aha moment, I don't know. I don't like I said. I don't consider myself super sharp or super smart. Uh, I was very determined. To learn DFS and get better, I saw the same 
people winning, it felt like, you know, every other night. There's same people at the top. So I knew there was a secret to it. And uh, just just listening to things like the theory of DFS, like your podcast, like you talking about it on Periscope and other sharp players talking about things like probability and whatnot. Um, that got me right in the right mind frame, looking at projected ownerships and projections, thinking about uh, GPP theory. And uh, yeah, with, you know, another year of experience under my belt here, it's I'm not doing anything real different than I was doing last year. I just think another year of experience is help with baseball. And I do think I'm getting, you know, what is it? What do they say? Hit with the variance stick right now. I'm, I'm getting lucky. I don't expect this to continue the whole the whole season, but it's, it's been great while it lasted. Right. But it's not just baseball. You're also doing basketball. And you have to admit that that basketball, that NBA GPP play and MLB GPP play are are much different. Completely I mean, different. Obviously, MLB has so much more correlation while NBA doesn't. And then we also have NBA with like, especially this season, like anything, that, any, any lineup that you made five minutes before lock is not the same lineup that you, that you end up with by the end of it. Uh, so to sure. me, I think it's very impressive that like you started with hockey. So like to me, hockey and baseball go a little bit more hand in hand because mm-hmm. correlation matters a lot more, but in NBA it doesn't. Right. So to me, I find it impressive that you have multiple skills. Like in NBA, you're utilizing primarily a, like a leverage type of like different types of constructions that people would not be using. While in yep. MLB, you're kind of just going, uh, what stack has a higher probability of winning than what will be owned? And then just going, give me, give me, give me 20 of those. And I mean, like, I guess, like, I'll, like, do, do you believe I, I've said this, I've said this on the pregame show. I've seen it in, in Roto Grinders Discord plenty of times. Mm. Do you believe that, MLB DFS, GPP, large field primarily, uh, is much more overthought, like more people overthink it, where where it just comes down to like like yesterday on yesterday's slate. I know this is, people may be listening to it later on a different day, that like, I'm just looking and going, I'm building a hundred lineups, uh, anything could happen in baseball, so I may have a stack of almost every team on the slate, but I may not have many of, I may have one pirate stack, maybe, right? Or something like that. Uh, but I'm I'm like, okay, I think the Mets are going under own. I think the Cardinals are going under own. I think the Blue Jays are going under own based on what I'm seeing. And then it's not like, I'm not sitting there going, well, should I play Guerrero in this spot? Or should I play this in this? I'm just like, right. give me 20 Blue Jays lineups. Let them be diverse. So I'm not just playing the same five guys at all five stacks. So, you know, if Joe Panic has a game. At least I have him in one or two lineups. Like, is it more, I've always viewed it as like, find the teams that are under-owned, stack them a bunch of different ways, make sure that the total lineup ownership is still low enough. So like, if you are playing a chalk one-off, you're not playing the chalks SP2. Sure. You could do that at a lineup level. And then you're basically just going, Here's the wall, and hopefully something, one lineup sticks. There are 150 at it. Yeah. Right, that there's no secret of, like, I'm going through individually going, should I play Bichette here, or should I play that here? It's just exactly. like, whatever and it comes course, out to be, based on the numbers, is just what it comes out to be. Yep, and of course, that's, that's I'm the same way. Uh, I don't look at individual batters, uh, for the most part. You know, I'll make sure I'm not getting a lot of uh, a chalky, cheap guy. Alex uh, Kirilov, right? Right, right. Alex Kirilov. I do. I I know you've been talking about projected ownership lately in baseball, um, and it does seem a bit off. Uh, 
But I was going to say, I basically built a process for each sport uh, using the optimizer I use. And um, a couple years ago, I was really into rewind, lineup study, looking at what the pros do. And that really helped me refine my processes for each sport. Um, so now I got it down as much as I can to basically just needing the projections. Uh, and so in baseball, you know, that's uh, ownership projections, point projections, of course, and uh, team stack uh, projected ownership on the team stacks and just go through there. I don't look at individual batters. I just think of it basically, you know, decide what I'm going to do with the pitching pool and then decide what I'm going to do with the stacks. And then a couple other things that I've figured out along the way that I think help make me get a bit different, but I still make mistakes. You were talking the other day um, on your daily show that reviews the slate the night before about having Toronto stacks, but not having Vladimir Guerrero. And yeah, that was me. I think I, you know, I had a good amount of Toronto stacks, not a ton, but I think I just had one with Vladimir Guerrero. So that was a hole in my game. And now, I, you know, I've added that to my process, re-added it actually from a while back, looking at each team and making sure that that's not happening where I'm totally missing out on the guy. But that's as close as I get to looking at individual batters, really. Right, right. That, that's the same thing. I, I on, 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 Truthfully, on this morning's pregame show, I was talking a bit about that, that it happens when, because an optimizer is trying to just jam in median mean fantasy points, right? So, yeah. like, it doesn't care about correlation. It doesn't care, like, what the ceiling of a player is. So when Vlad Guerrero is 5,800, and as a point-per-dollar like individual batter, it rates out very poorly. Sure. Like, your Toronto stacks are going to be five-man, not that guy. Like, you're not going to get any, unless you set a minimum, and you tell, I don't care if it's lower fantasy points total in the median, like, give me something of this. And people go in and do, do you believe these are the types of things? Like, it's part of your process now. And it should have been. I mean, it probably was before. Same thing with, oh, my God, I'm getting 77% Alex Karoloff one-offs. Right? Because it's like the, the, the cheapo Kevin Pillar. Typically, typically that's when sharp players uh, tilt. When the cheap min-price chalk one-off oh, sure. goes off, gets a home run because... It's like the only, it's a low ceiling player. Two. Right, right. Two, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But what ends up happening is that people use these tools and without viewing their lineups or whatever, and they go, well, the optim, you see, you hear this all the time. The optimizer gave me this, like the optimizer did it, right? It's you like, well. To, you have to force your optimizer to do things it doesn't want to do to right? compete Archfield GPPs. You have to. Right, but what ends up happening is that you you do your first run, you get seventy seven percent of a twenty seven hundred dollar, you know, Avisel Garcia batting third, you know, <laughs> or something like that, yeah. and you go like, well, he's a from a mean perspective, a median like, he's he's a good play. Like if you're playing double up, sure, great, but do you want in your hundred fifty lineups? Do you want him in a hundred of them? I mean, like, like doesn't mean you x him out. But you have to tell the optimizer that I, I I do not care as much about this median number as I care about ceiling and diversification of my Brewers stacks that I don't have Avisel Garcia in literally all of them. And then when uh, when uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. at 3,200, which is a, probably a worse point-per-dollar play, hits that home run, and you're sitting there going, I, I played 20 Brewers stacks and I got them in one lineup. Like to to me, those those are the more because once you've decided on the strategy, 
You've said, I want to stack the Brewers. I want to stack the, the Blue Jays. I want to do that type of thing. Like, you want to capitalize for when you're right. But you don't necessarily have to be exact. Like, when, when you when you multi-enter, right. especially, you're, go, you're going like, what, I, I Philly stacks with Roman Quinn at 0.47% ownership yesterday. I have in two lineups. He got 12 points. And I'm like, okay, maybe the bottom of the order Phillies goes off. I got real Muto in there. Okay, it's going well. They kind of died off. It didn't matter. Uh, sure. But it's not like I'm going in going, oh, I can't play any Roman Quinn. Like, so many people that play look at that and go, how do you, when, when that, when that happens, when Willie Adamas one off in your, in your, in your shortstop goes off, they go, how is this not luck? Like, right. but it's, you're admitting, and we're both admitting that there is luck involved in like, what, how did he get in that exact lineup? Like, yep. that's something that we didn't control specifically, but we put ourselves in the position to get lineups like that. And if it, if Roman Quinn, if, if I have a Roman Quinn one-off in a first place winning lineup, because he just fit. That would be something. <laughs> right, but 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 that's what happens. Harrison Bader batting eighth. Okay, double dong. And then it's like, oh, how did you get him? Like, I, I think the, the misconception is that they people think that we're going through lineup one by one going, nope, I played him in that lineup for a specific reason. And the, really to pull the curtain, you know, you know, like the Wizard of Oz is like, right. like most, we're not thinking that. It's just, that's how the math worked out for that lineup. And that's it. When I look at the lineups I've created, I'm looking more at keeping in mind, I know what the optimizer wants to do based on projections. I know what the field is projected to do. So I have all that swirling around in my head and then have it make the lineups. Um, so when I'm looking at the lineups, I'm, you know, I'm looking, is it, is it trying to plug in pitchers, uh, high-dollar pitchers at the expense of bats? So do all my lineups with a certain stack kind of look the same with horrible one-offs? Um, things more like that, and, and who is actually in the stacks. But with baseball, I don't look at the lineups as much as I do uh, with NBA, that's for sure. NBA is a whole other beast. So so what do you do for NBA? So, so what's – because we have an NBA, what ends up happening is that we get, you know, some some team is sitting here with their players. Actually breaking up there. There's some team is sitting like half oh. their players and then you get like the, the $3,500 guy. That's going to be like 67% owned. You get like constructions where it's like, Oh, everyone's paying, paying down for, for this center. And it's like the construction almost builds. It's like the chalk construction builds itself. So what right. do you do with in, in NBA? Cause in MLB you're stacking. I mean, it's kind of like half, half of your lineup is like already taken care of. And it's just fitting stuff around, and the variance is so high that you know it could be zero, it could be twenty. Who knows what happens? And but in basketball, it the the it's more likely that the median projections will be accurate. Like the the range Most of outcomes on a player is going to be much narrower. So mm -hmm. how do you handle NBA using the tools and building 150 lineups that's different from MLB? Well, of course, the procedure using an optimizer with MME. Uh, for NBA is very different uh, than baseball. Um, I use tools like a, a boom bust tool to uh, to help decide who's going to stay in my player pool. So I edit the player pool pretty heavily. Um, I go team by team and create groups to to get rid of negative correlation and probably pretty more aggressively than most people would uh, for those large field GPPs. 
And, uh, you know, have different things on it, like uh, from looking at past or looking at good players play, uh, salary minimums, uh, ownership maximums, projection minimums for the lineup as a whole. Um, and that basically gets me to the initial lineups I want to use for the slate. And uh, from there, it's basically just looking for any late swap opportunities, any kind of news, because that's, that's a big deal in basketball. You know, I've made money in basketball, but I don't compete as often as I would want to in basketball. It's been very difficult. I, even, I just took a week off of basketball because I was just getting killed. Until um, you won 100000 and Yeah. You come back and you win 100000 Yeah. You a nice week first, off. Way to go. That was my first night to play. Can you take uh, another week off so someone else could win? <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, I did what I normally do. Um, I did do a couple of late swaps last night, and uh, it just it, it worked out. You know, with the groups and the settings, uh, the optimizer uh, put the right players together. I, I guess I'm pretty good at jumbling up the good players. It just usually does not 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 an exact right order to win a GPP, but yeah, every once in a while. But to, to, to some people, they'll listen to this conversation of what you just said and ask, well, what are your settings? You must have magic settings. But right. I think the key part of what you described is the before you pressed, you before you got to the, the build settings to like, what players am I taking out of my pool? What players am I going to have more of based on the math, based on boom bust, based on smash percentage, based on whatever, like coming up with the strategy of people are going to pay up here. They're going to pay down there. So I'm going to have yep. more of this and more of that. Like you're doing all of, you're thinking that in your head before um, you're not just going, cause so many people ask about optimizer settings, right? Well, how yeah, much right? 12%? Right. What 12% random is 15% random is three uniques. Are you doing that? Like, and like, to me, all of those are just like, they're just little, like, like, like little console of like, I visualize the lineups that I want and whatever settings I need to use. Some mm -hmm. days it may be this. Some days it may be that. You just like, I want to build like in, in MLB, you'll build lineups and you'll go, uh, I'm not getting like, uh, I'm getting too much of this and too much of that. And like mathematically, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, I'm trying to play a cheap stack, but also play a cheap pitcher. But then I don't want to have Acuna as a one-off or, or Trout as a one-off at 20% on. And it's the optimizer saying, dude, if you want to spend like 49.5 in salary, you, like, I can't do this for you. And it's like, right. okay, well, how about if I set the minimum down to 49? Can you do it for me now? And then I, then, then I do that. Now this $5,200 guy, I'm getting 39% of. And I'm like, I don't want that. So I'm like, well, how do I get the $5,000 guy more? Well, I could change his minimum exposure or I could just turn up randomness to like 10% and it's like okay now at least I'm getting a mix of both of those guys now but like more. I'm not said no one's like going in and just like okay I have 74 settings that I set in my optimizer and then pressing a button and then uploading like 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 it almost seems like a lot of the questions about the tools come down to that and it's like just just like what we said before well the optimizer gave me this it's like no, no. The optimizer is an efficiency tool for you to build 150 lineups so you don't have to do them by hand. But you're programming the tool to give me the... I'm looking to build a bookshelf, right? And now I'm going to have a little tool and I'm now building a bookshelf. I'm not just like looking at a hammer and a saw and going, well, what settings right. do I put on these? And then how does the bookcase show up? It's like... Like it gotcha. doesn't, it, you have to, you have to know that you want to build a bookcase. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm building. Just, I know that something's going to show up. And if it's a bookcase, it's a bookcase. If it's, <laughs> if it's a dresser, it's a dresser. Like you have to visualize what you want first and then yep. 
have the tool build it for you. Yep, I agree with that. I, I try to be in that frame of mind when I'm building. Um, but I think the same things you do to an extent when I'm when I'm doing it. Like I say, I don't I don't think I'm as, as sharp as you are with the game theory stuff. I, you you have to be. You made more money than me. You, you keep on <laughs> saying this. Like, dude, you made more well, money in like three months than I've made in five years. It's going pretty well right now. The you know with MLB with the with the 150 max, uh, I think I might have banked one or just got second place. I haven't been doing great in that, but uh, you know with the higher entry stuff in baseball has been treating me pretty well. Do do you okay? Uh, do you how how do you treat that? I know a lot of uh, 150 maxers. Like they'll build 150 and they'll put their top 20 in the 20 max, the top three in the three max, top one. Do you do something like that? Or do you specifically, like, I'm going to choose the specific lineup, even if it's not the top projected Uh-oh. or the top, like, like how, how do you, I mean, to me, yeah. I, you, you could talk about that process because we're not talking about lineups, but do you try to, explo- me personally, I try to exploit that. I try to exploit the fact that most likely in this, these single entry, uh, smaller field stuff, or even the mid stakes, like the 88 or the 66, that, uh, that, the projected lineups are going to be higher. The ownership of the lineups are going to be more condensed, higher because yep. you see that. And then, like, so whatever the chalk stack is, it's like I may not have any of it. And even though it's my highest projected lineup, like I'm more likely to play like my 25th lineup, which gives me like the most leverage in that specific. I'm playing like the two chalk pitchers, but like the the third highest stack, but the third highest stack is going like three times lower owned in that contest compared to the large field stuff. So like what, or, or for ease, do you just put in whatever the top projected lineup is and just, that's what it is. I guess neither of those, uh, you talk oh, about neither. Oh, okay. Now, now I'm interested. <laughs> now, what do you do? Well, I don't think it's that interesting. I, I basically just, if I need 20 lineups, I, I, you know, I use fantasy cruncher. So I crunch 20 lineups. Uh, I actually use the late swap feature to enter the slates, you know, before they started, uh, because it's nice, you know, it lists out all the contests you're in, and you can uh, you can crunch 150 for the main, and then 20 for the next, and you know, 11 for the high stakes, and that's what I do. And I, I got to that place because uh, I get crushed in single entry remax tournaments, um, hand building, picking a lineup, especially in the NBA. It just it's never worked out for me, so I decided just to just to crunch. You know, the once I have all my settings, everything I wanted, I just crunch however many I need and put that in. And, uh, so you're doing all uniques then? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, no, not all uniques because I'll you know I'll run 150 lineups for the main tournament and then 20 for another, and I might get one or two overlapping. You know, if I have like 300 lineups that night, I'm gonna get a couple of dupes. Right. But and, and most... not dupes in the same contest, but in right one lineup that's in the 20 max is also in the other one that's, because yeah. but but you're you're generating separately. And because yep. obviously you probably have maybe a little bit of randomness added you know, or something like that, that your top 20 is not going to be the same each individual time and maybe off by one player. So, okay. So, so you're not just making 150 and putting the top. No, 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 so, no. So, but it, you're not purposely going out to be unique also. So you're doing, so you're doing slightly, you're doing like a hybrid of what oh. I do. So like what I do is yeah. like, if I'm entered 70 times into this contest, 20 times into this, five into that, and it's a hundred total lineups, I'm just you building 100. 100. 
Right. So I know they all have to be unique because I'm building it all in one build. What you're doing is you're building 70, putting it in, in the CSV, and then you're going, going right back and setting it right down to 20, and then you building 20, and then cutting. And if, if there's five dupes between the, the two lines, then it is what it is, and that's that's what it is, and that's what you do. Right. And earlier you talked about ownership being uh, more concentrated in the high-stakes stuff. Uh, I don't know if in baseball maybe, you know, because I'm putting the same lineups in the higher-stakes stuff than I do in the main GPPs. So I wonder if just something about that is working for right now that's making, you know, making me compete uh, when I play. Well, I mean, typically if in, you're the, in the high stakes, because I am competing in the high stakes, but not in the main 150 usually, not in the main GPP. Right. Well, well I, think, I think the main difference is that when in a 150, like we're, we're, we're tending to build more contrarian lineups. Right. So if you're kind, if you're built, even if you're generating 20 of those, like those contrarian lineups will be even more contrarian. In the, yep. So so that hence why you're li- like you don't even have to do what I like like my my top projected lineup since I'm building it for large field is going to have enough leverage for large field. So obviously it has way more leverage right. already exactly. in the single entry. So so like that's why that's why I'm saying like when the Yankees are chalk on a slate. I barely have the Yankees. So it's like I'm right. naturally going to be contrarian single entry because most likely my highest projected lineup is not even going to be a Yankee stack because I don't I don't even have Yankee stacks. I'm more likely just not to stack the Yankees at all, but to allow them as, you know, getting one, two, maybe even up to three in a lineup. Uh, a lot of times I won't allow three. Um, but, yeah, when fading pop stacks like that, I don't mind fading them at all because I know I'm going to get them as one-offs and, and two-offs. When when you when you fade teams completely, do do, do you ever okay. stacks stack right stacks completely? Here here's one thing that I struggle with. Uh, when you're pl- playing, mathematically it doesn't matter. It's 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 a mental it's a mental lapse. So let's say for instance, let's just use an example from last night. We had okay. now, right? Okay, so let's Glasnow is going to be probably overowned now because the two postponed games, uh, but of course you didn't have you had to spend money somewhere. So I mean, whatever. Well, I had none before games started getting canceled, and I had to get some Glasnow after the two games got canceled. Right. Well, that's what happened to me. I was planning on playing none of them. I was right. literally planning on playing none, <laughs> and then it's like, okay, maybe I'll play twenty percent, and then it just got, spot, I yeah. kept on getting more because unless I like I put my min salaries forty seven thousand, like it's going to fill in. Like, that was an interesting slate. It was tough uh, to spend all that salary. Right, and then Tatis ends up 35% owned, and it's like, do I want to play that as a one-off? No. Well, it has to spend the money somewhere, right? But in that specific instance, so you're getting a lot of glass now, but then what do you do with the Angels? Like, I, I have, like, me personally, since I'm playing less lineups, I try to maximize for the strategic decisions that I make on the slate. So if I'm going to say I'm going with these three teams and these three pitchers kind of, and it's like, I want as many combinations of those. And then whatever's left is left. I may have a couple of stacks here, a couple of, I may have three lineups with this pitcher in it. But like, if I'm playing, for instance, heavy Mets. And do you play that concentrated? Just like three stacks on a slate? No, no, no. I typically play like 10 stacks, but I will be heavily over the field. So like, for instance, on a slate with like, like slate yesterday, there was only eight eight games, sixteen right. teams. I may have like nine stacks, 
nine teams. But I mean, like, like the Mets, the Mets and the Cardinals and the Blue Jays were like half of all of my lineups. Oh, wow. So like I was over on all three, but I would still have like four stacks of this team and, you know, six Royal stacks, you know, like where I see that I could still build lineups that would be plus EV. I'm like, okay, I could, how about a five man Royals with three Mets? That works, right? How about Steven Matz in my Blue Jays lineups and then play Tatis in that line? Okay, that works out, right? Mm-hmm. I could play the Tatis chalk in that lineup. The Twins stack, but don't play Buxton, but you're playing, you know, like there are ways to make those lineups. But I just don't have as many of them. But let's say, for instance, I'm heavy on the Mets, but Wainwright's also there also. So like if I'm playing, if like a quarter of my lineups are going to have Mets, either as a stack or as one-offs, uh-huh. technically, I mean, the lineups are independent from one another. I could still have Wainwright lineups. I could, st- I could still have Wainwright lineups. The only thing is, is that both these lineups are negatively correlated to each other. Yeah. And it's like, I'm automatically, I'm automatically hedging my, 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 I, I'm increasing my ceiling, but lowering my floor in the process of my entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. Are you the type? And then cause, uh, on top of that, if I'm, if I'm playing, let's say I'm, I'm playing glass now, like, do I just X out the angels? Or is it okay to have a Trout one-off in a non-Glasnow lineup? It technically is. I, It, it is. Oh, sure. The lineups are independent from one another. But as a portfolio of lineups of you're building 150, is like if you're going to have 70 lineups, if you're going to have 70% of your lineups with Tyler Glasnow, like ha- having three lineups with Trout in the non-Glasnow lineups, like are, are you more likely to just, I'm just Xing out the Angels so I don't have to worry about do I have Iglesias as a one-off in some random lineup like that where where I'm building lineups that are so contrarian to each other? Like, I don't mind building diversified lineups, but it gets to the point where if you're building where every, th- every lineup is a hedge of every, every other lineup, like you get into the case where if you're playing, if you're playing 50 or if you're playing 150, you have a little bit more leeway to do that. But let's yeah. say you're only playing 50, like I'm, I'm only playing 60 lineups. Like what, why am I? Why do I play one hedge over this hedge over this hedge? Now I have 60 hedged lineups where it's like this. It's impossible for one lineup to win without the other 59 lose. Like it gets to the point where you, 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 you can never, you're not grabbing enough equity where you could possibly come in like first and then 57th and then 118th because the lineups are just so contradictory to one another that like, I'm not giving myself enough shots. It's like I better hope that one lineup has the right exact guys in it. So I'm I'm much more likely to just X out team like I'm I'm not playing the Pirates. Just like I don't care if Brian Reynolds may possibly fill it fit in as a one off. Just like I'm playing the San Diego pitcher, I'm not playing the, the Pirates. And they're just Xing them out of the pool so they don't even show up as one offs as possibilities. I I'm I'm under the impression that I'm I'm in the minority for doing something. You're less likely to X out. Maybe you'll X out pitchers, but you won't just... You'll X out a team as a stack, but you still include all the players in the player pool. And if you just happen to get Eric Gonzalez at 3,200 in your second base spot in a lineup, like, that's just too... That, okay, that's what the projections say. Right. Well, um, that's, a, that's a lot to unpack there. Uh, you do sound more leveraged than me. You're, I mean, I'm sure you're employing game theory better than me. I'm more spread out. Um 
so and I do look at it, at it as a portfolio of lineups, of course. Um, I think the examples you were using was Wainwright and the Mets. Um, if I have was it was it Wainwright seven or Glasnow seventy five percent Glasnow you were talking about? What? Or as an example. As to how I play. Um, right, like if you have 70% glass now, is there a purpose? Would you still have angels in no. your player pool to right. play in non glass now? I would not X out angels, and I would probably have, you know, probably 10% angel stacks uh, just as a hedge against glass now getting blown up, uh, not working out. See, I uh, understand. To me, to me, that makes sense. But at what point do you, because you could do that with every line. I mean, like, you understand, like, in that specific, yeah. if he's like, I'm going to play some glass now, I'm also going to play some angel stack. So if one of the things happens, but then it's like, I'm going to play the Mets, and I'm also going to play Wainwright. I'm also going to play the, like, then how many, 150 lot? you can't even do that in 150 lineups, where you're playing, like, every lineup is anti one another. I like, at some point, you just have to say, I don't have any of this team. For sure, yeah. I rarely X out batters. Um, I definitely X out pitchers from the pool and don't play them at all. Uh, but you're right. I look at it as stacks of batters. Uh, so I just won't stack a certain team. I don't stack all the teams, of course, every night. Um, you can't cover all your bases on 150 lineups? Yeah, unfortunately not. Uh, <laughs> that would be nice if I could, but definitely not. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a bit more spread out um, than you are. But but and, you but you have to see you you study you use rewind or whatever I see you do the one fifty yeah. max uh, and you do the same thing that I do I mean like in a similar way I'm I'm going through results DB you must notice that there are sharp players that do more like what you do where you could you could have a slate of twelve games and have no batter in your pool be more than twenty percent exposed where it's like you're playing so much. You're playing such diversification. There's plenty of sharp players that do that. I say I would say that's the majority. But then you also have guys like like uh, Ricky D or Giant Squid, where it's like they're building 150 lineups, and it's like they pick like like one or two teams, and they have like 80 percent of that team, <laughs> right? And they pick two pitches. It's like it's like they're treating their all 150 as almost like it's one lineup, and it's like. If if the Blue Jays hit today, uh, someone's getting rich. Like like, but they have like all of the combinations with well, like, all of the possible one offs, and it's like as long as mm-hmm. one of these two teams puts up twelve runs, like they're they're gold. But if they don't, of course, most of the lineups are at the bottom. So that's a much much higher right. variance strategy uh, from a from a that's, diversification that's standpoint. Too high variance for me. Right, but that right that's exactly that's too high variance for me. But there, and but like, there, but there has to be. But Peter, there has to be a some point where being too diverse is yeah. negative, also. Well, like you preach, I'm not trying to predict the future. I'm just trying to make, you know, uh, lineups with high ceilings that can compete with, you know, that are that are structured correctly. And I think I have a process in place to do that. I, um, you know, I have. A, I know you write down names and stuff on sheets. Uh, stacks I just, I just do that because it's easy to look at. Yeah, so I have a process where I where I put the slate into Excel, um, not the not the projections and stuff, just you know the the teams, the batter, or excuse me, the teams and the pitchers, and it helps me visualize uh, what the public is thinking about this slate. You know who certain people like. Uh, it's got projected ownership on there, and that really helps me visualize it. I have a couple of things I do uh, on the optimizer 
to, you know, I cap exposure to hitters. Um, I, I definitely cap uh, or tell the optimizer what percentage of stacks I want. And that's based off a of top stacks tool. I also have uh, something I do to control what one-offs I get in each lineup. So I'm not just leaving that up to chance uh, in an optimizer. I'm not going to get, or I shouldn't get, a really low projected guy that's cheap and high owned. Um, you know, I might have a cheap high owned guy in my lineup, but it's not because he projected really poorly. So, uh, that's something I worked on last year was trying to control who I got as one offs and, uh, it's been working out so far this year, but I definitely don't get, I try not to get too diverse, but more diverse than you, it sounds like. Right. Just, just a little bit more, but that's primarily because I play less lineups. Right. Like uh, well, to me, you, I'm, I'm 150. What? Why don't you play 150? Because I, I I'm 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 too risk averse for that. All right. The swings, yeah. right? Well, baseball is so much different than you know basketball. One fifty, I can lose you know fifty to eighty percent if things go wrong. It's not great. Baseball, I feel like it's much more. I'm not as worried about getting getting blanked or losing you know eighty percent of what I put in just because I am so spread out. It's a rare slate where I where I just get beat badly in baseball. I think. Well, for for me, I'm more likely to, I I would rather put have let reduce my risk of ruin, even yeah. if it's reducing my EV. Especially since I tend to play more contrarian. Right. If I was if I was more if I was more willing to be more diversified, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. But I'm I'm more likely to I want to identify like like basically two to four strategic directions on a slate. This team's under owned, this pitcher's under owned, this construction's like that, and go, if I'm right, I have a bunch of combos of that. And if I'm right. wrong, then if the if the Braves are chalk and they put up 14 runs, I lose 80% of my, like, that. that's fine. But as long as, if the chalk doesn't hit, I got a whole bunch of ways, and I don't have to worry about the, I stack the Mets, but I don't have Kevin Pillar in my lineup. Like, 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 because I have, because I'm, I'm building enough combinations of that, but let's say I did that for 150. So what? I had another team. So now I'm I'm increasing 150 lineups. Imagine having 30 of five different stacks. You could see how you could lose minus 80 percent ROI easily doing that. But 35 different stacks? No, five different stacks. Like 30 lineups, five different st- five gotcha. teams, 30 lineups gotcha. each. Yeah. Right. You don't get any of the right. You're done. Right. You you you're dead. Yeah. I'm more yeah. On the on the bigger slates, I more stack maybe ten or eleven teams, maybe even twelve teams. If I get that spread out, well, I mean, I do that also, but I mean, I'm doing okay. it much much lower. Like if I see an op- if I see a plus EV opportunity, I'm more mm-hmm. likely to double down. I I view it very similar to blackjack. Gotcha. Right, like if you're playing blackjack, if the count's high, like there's a difference between a count of four and a count of twelve. So if I see the uh, things that are more like a count to 12, like I'm doubling that, like, like this Mets Cardinals game is going under owned. Like, so I don't want to be like, well, okay, I'll have 12%. Like, no, I want as many to combo combinate. I don't want to like, well, I'll also have a Padre sex. We'll also have this, maybe this, you know, like, it's like, no, I just want to, I see a spot, but there are certain slates where you look and you're like, other than, okay, obviously this team's going to be chalk, so you get rid of them. And then out, outside of that, like, there's no, it's like everything seems normal, kind of like, I I don't like anything. I don't think anything is excessively over-owned or under-owned. And right. maybe in those slates, I'm like, 
I guess I'm just kind of playing like uh, I'm kind of playing like 10% of 10 stacks and just like, uh, okay, let's just spread it out. Right. Just spread it out. Right. But some slates I'm, I'm a little bit more condensed uh, depending on like what you said, the top, that top stack tool, like that type right. of mentality of you see the leverage there. You go like, oh, based on what I'm seeing, which may be different from what you're seeing, different tools, different projections, different everything. I yep. go, you know, the, the Mets are going twice. I mean, like, like Pete Alonso's coming in at nine percent owned. He should be eighteen percent owned. It's like, if that's what I believe, like, why don't I have him in a third of my line? Like, I'm getting so much value there. Like, so I want to play. I don't want to be just like, well, I got to sacrifice some of my Alonzo lineups because I need to play three pirate stacks, like for no reason. Like, <laughs> so I just like, yes, you're right. The pirates could go off today. You're right, absolutely. And if they do. I lose, okay? So be it. But I, I see where the... I try to figure out where the edge is. And I want to put my money where the edge is. But of course, you're never going to know that. That's the problem with DFS. You're not really going to know that. By the time... By the time, like, an hour before the slate, like, you don't... You're entering contest earlier in the day. You can't, like, increase your volume or decrease. It, it's all full, right? It's it's 10 minutes before lock, and I'm like, there's no edge. Can I withdraw? Like, no, it's the contest already full. I got to make my line. I mean, like... I got to make lineups. And then the opposite. I won't enter at all until a half an hour before lock. Oh my God, there's so much edge tonight and the contest is full. So it's like, it's like, you don't even get, you don't have the choice. Like, like in, in any other type of betting where it's like, oh, the count's high in blackjack. Let me put down a million dollars. Like, you don't, I mean, <laughs> they're not going to let you do that anyway. But uh, to yeah, me, that, that, that's, that's the tough part. Because certain nights, it's just, you look and no matter what the sport is, Sometimes MMA, you look and you go, I don't even know, like, I don't even know if I could build a unique lineup. Like, I just, like, I, don't, I just don't see, maybe I could build 20. And it's like, well, I should only play 20. Why am I playing 125 lineups into this MMA contest? If like, Well, MMA, yeah. Do you, MMA. Do you play MMA? Every once in a while. I don't really follow MMA. Um, you don't need to. If, you don't need to. It's DFS. <laughs> you don't need to. If Right. If I'm around, well, as in... Like I'll play it if I think I might watch it that night because it's it could be fun to watch and I don't want to watch it without anything on the line. So right, um, God forbid, God forbid you yeah, right. sport without any money about? on the line. Right, <laughs> <clears throat> but it hasn't worked out well for me in MMA. I think my ROI in MMA is minus fifty percent lifetime. So it's yeah, it's but that's bad. the way. But but you understand why because in large field contest. If you don't win first, you're not profitable. I've been happy to have unique lineups uh, the last few GPPs. Uh, you know, the, I don't want to say they were near the top. They weren't, but they were my best lineups and they were unique. And you know how MMA works. Like, it looks like you might be competitive, but then you realize there's there's two fights left and people are going to blow by you by 60 points. But I, I've been happy to get unique lineups because some of those slates in MMA are so small. Um, right. I and, don't play, I don't play slates that are anything less, anything less than, uh, than 11 fights, 10 fight gotcha. cards and nine fight cards. I don't know. I don't even know if it's possible to even be profitable in, <laughs> in large field. And I'm, I'm just making it clear the large field stuff, maybe right. that maybe the 200 person contest. Sure. But like, I just don't like, I don't know if you can't, I don't, I'd really legitimately don't even know if you simulated out a nine fight card. Like I just like, there's more com there's less combinations than entries in the contest. I mean, it's like, right. Like it just, it's, it, it's, it's almost impossible to have a unique. And when it's winner take all type of format where it's got, where really that's all that matters. 
Because let's say first place gets duped 10 times. Coming in 11th place is unprofitable now. I mean, like, like it, it, that's why, that's why, that's why the ROI in MMA is like, until you bink, you're going you're gonna to yeah. be losing money. You got to bank, yeah. I, was the uh, was first place chop last tournament? Because I know the tournament before is like a six way, no, six no, way chop at first. No, I, the last no, I think the last one was a massive was like thirty way tie. That's right, that's right. It was a thirty way tie for like sixty two hundred. I know because I had a plenty of unique lineups, and I've, obviously by by the last two fights, I didn't have a live one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I have live ones for like it could come in third, and hopefully there's a unique. So my third place is all like five thousand or something, but that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no, uh, no, it was the week before that. That because that, the week before was a bigger was a was a pay per view card. That was the six way tie, right? That, right. The, that 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 was that was a much bigger one. No, MMA is just not not that much fun. I mean, I think baseball at the FS is my favorite, just because after basketball, baseball is so less stress, <laughs> right. uh, less scratches. You don't have to worry about late swapping very often. Although there's been a few, few times this year so far in baseball, but going back to basketball last night, I was really hit with just how stressful it, I mean, it's locked, but yeah, I mean, stress is still going to stay up because you're waiting for news. You're waiting for lineups and late swap is such a big deal. I mean, that's, that's the big edge in basketball is late swap. So you're sitting at your uh, computer basically all night? Well, at home all night, you know, tied to the phone at least, watching watching for alerts uh, from from Fantasy Labs, NBA, Twitter account there um, to make changes. And, and uh, you yeah, have to make changes every night. I mean, it, is there has there been an NBA slate where you've not – no. Locke has hit at seven and you've literally not changed any of your lineups by the end of the well, Especially the last two seasons, uh, NBA has been nuts. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, just always kind of on edge with basketball until the last game of the night locks. Uh, or by then, if you don't have a chance, then you don't have to worry about it. But uh, but yeah, and like I say, lace off is big in basketball. So I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll play tonight, but it did add a lot of stress uh, to lock. And whereas baseball, I think you might have compared it more to golf uh, in the past. Just kind of like you know the lineups. Uh, well, more like football. I think, more, I think it's more like NFL, right? Typically on Saturday by Saturday night. Oh yeah, that makes right? sense. Right? I mean, you rarely get the inactives where it's like right. 11, maybe you're waiting on a Julio Jones or something like that. And even then, you probably make you can make two builds. What I typically do in those scenarios is I make, you know, if I'm building 100, 150, I'm making one run with Julio, one run with. So I have both of them. So I just eleven thirty comes out. It's always oh, inactive. Okay, I got my build, right? That type of thing. Where baseball typically, other than maybe Joe Madden with the Angels or Dave Roberts with the Dodgers, like you get you get the start, the you get the the batting orders like with, with ample enough time, right? That, that you're really not. I mean, you're really not stressing now. But sometimes you get the scratches. I mean, ba- basically, the, the late swaps late. that I'm doing is like. Okay, I guess I need to switch Chris Taylor with Gavin Lux, right? It's like that, like because the Dodgers mm-hmm. lineup comes out later. Oh, oh, Luis Rangifo instead of Jose Iglesias, you know, like, like that type of thing. Uh, are so, you are you rerunning in those scenarios? I was ask you. Oh, you were gonna ask me. I'm I'm lazy. I do global swap. Okay, I I late swap everything. Uh, so, even so are you baseball- are you re- are you even rebuilding the lineups that? have no no swaps are you xing those out nope so you're like so you're rebuilding everything with like so it so maybe the first okay 
Let me just highlight this for people that don't that may not get this that don't okay. use the tools. Maybe. So what ends up happening in baseball, right, is that typically let's let's say it's a large slate, twelve games, something like that. We have a seven oh five, a seven oh seven, a seven ten. Maybe there's three early games that three or four early games. Right. The Dodgers lineup, like, is still unknown. Right. We have projected, but who knows? Is it going to be BD? Is it going to be Luke Raley? Right. Is, is Muncie going to be in the lineup tonight or not? You know, we think so, but you never know. Uh, and then 712 hits and we get that Dodgers lineup. Now, I've made Dodgers stacks. I've had, I have Dodgers as one offs. I have right. Seeger here. I have Turner there. I have everyone, Mookie Betts, whoever. Uh, if it's the lineup that's actually, if the projected lineup is the same, well then, uh, okay, well, way to go. Okay, I got my, I got my lineups. But now it's seven twelve, and let's say uh, uh, AJ Pollock isn't in the lineup at thirty five hundred, and they have uh, Matthew Beatty's in for him at thirty two hundred, right? Like in that scenario, for me, since I care more about correlation than three hundred dollars in salary. Is that I just go into DraftKings Global Swap. Yep. And I go, give me all my, my 14 Pollocks, turn into 14 BDs. Now, regardless of the it, it BD projects, probably a little bit less because Pollock's a little bit better of a hitter. So the lineups would change if I did, went into a late swap tool. It may not give me 16 BDs, but I'm I'm primarily playing him in stacks anyway. So he's still in my five main Dodger stacks. Now, obviously, if it's a scenario where it's Mookie Betts that's out of the lineup. Like, dude, do I do I want to global swap Betts and then play Beatty and leave twenty eight hundred dollars on the table? I could use that twenty eight hundred dollars oh. elsewhere. I know Some, the answer to that one. Yeah. Sometimes in those scenarios, out of laziness, Betts becomes Trout, right? And then now right. I have a four three one. You know, I have that type of Dodgers. That you know, something like that. At, but well, that's a way to do it. Some. In those scenarios, typically I'm 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 using a late swap tool. Mm. Okay, in those right. where where the salary discrepancy and the positional discrepancies are so big that it would be much more advantageous if I just rebuilt those lineups. But when I put the lineups in the late swap tool, I only check the lineups that they're in. The lineups okay. that that if if I don't have any Dodgers in the lineup, then why am I changing those lineups at all? Right. So I could uncheck those lineups. So my you know, if I have, uh, you know, 16 Mookie Betts lineups, it's like, I want to late swap all just 16 of these lineups, right? And maybe out of the 16, I have 11 Dodgers stacks and five lineups with Mookie Betts as a one-off. I calculate that. I go, okay, half of those, about half of those lineups, 60% of those lineups are Dodger stacks. So I make sure that 60% of those lineups are Dodger stacks. And then whatever comes out for the other lineups and just it, at that point, Peter, that's, that's what I'm just, whatever happens, I just need yep. lineups, give it to me. So are you doing more of that or are you, are you legitimately rebuilding even the lineups that the Dodgers aren't even in? Yes, I am legitimately rebuilding really? the lineups the Dodgers aren't even in. Well, <laughs> I mean, what's the difference? As long as everything conforms to the, to what you set up as settings, you know, team stack percentage, uh, any kind of salary or ownership filters that you have on, if you have them. As long as they still conform to everything you did at the beginning, um, then I don't see a big deal. Yeah, some of my one-offs are going to change, but I don't know. I mean, you don't. You're don't, right. You didn't know what to begin with, right? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I'm sure 
a tout really likes this guy that I had, and now I don't. I have him. I have Willie Adamez or something, who I had last night. And, you know, he had a home run, a double RBI, and he was – I don't think he was that owned. And I don't know if I had him originally or if I got him in a late swap. I think there were some late swaps last night. I think an Orioles outfielder didn't start that everyone was yeah, expecting. Yeah, Haggerty and Stewart. Stewart for the Orioles. That's right. And Hag- and Hag- really? The- Are you going to late swap? Haggerty got out, and then Trammell is putting in his place. Well, it's a hundred dollar difference. Just switch. How many line? How many mar? I I had a couple of Mariners stacks. I had two Sam Haggerty lineups. You know what I do? I switch them over to Trammell. Like sure. it's the ninth hitter. You're rebuilding all of your lineups because of that. It's slate dependent. It depends on when the game was in the slate. I mean, if it's far, if it's deep enough into the slate, most of the lineups, even with late swap, are going to stay the same. Right. And only the Dodger stacks are going to change. And it's going to leave in Pollock, who got ruled out. So I have to go in to that lineup and make changes manually to a couple. Uh, if it happens early on in the slate, then there's so many options. It's no big deal. I don't have to. Right. Uh, no, no, I understand. I, un- I understand. I understand. That, but yes, yeah, I really am. Uh, all 150 over. It's so easy. It's a couple pushes of a button, spits out a new 150. I just check it, make sure nothing weird happened, throw it back in. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's These are the skills. This is the skill game. I do that for NBA as well. I mean, like I said, I can't pick. I'm horrible at single entry, three max. I'm not, I can't pick players, you know. I'm not using the, the thumbs up, thumbs down tool or manually adjusting projections because I like someone or they have a great matchup, all that stuff. It's already so, in the projections anyway. I mean, you'd be right, you'd double exactly. counting it. So why not just trust the optimizer? You know, I'm in it for the long haul. If I well, lose... trust the projections, don't say trust the optimizer because people will be like, "Oh, it's okay. telling you what to do, right?" The optimizer speaking. Well, I'm trusting the optimizer after all my settings are in place and all my thoughts have been put into the calculator, and I've told it what to do, uh, and it's conforming to that. So yeah, based on projections, give me lineups like I wanted at the beginning of the slate. Without having to do a you know a global swap swap off one guy, and maybe that's what makes me different and puts me at the top that night. I mean, why not? Just ran, just but that's random chance. Yeah, but over time, with my settings and projections and experience, I think that's you know what plus EV. Right, right. Well, yeah. the one off stuff. Right, that the fact that oh, who was the one off in the lineup? The projection difference is so little, and it's right. like. But people look at that, and they must look at that, and they go, well, "You're playing 150 lot." That's where that's where the whole thing of you're oh, you're playing that's you only win because you're playing 150 lineups. But you you do exactly. this analysis on Twitter. I don't think people. I mean, I 90 percent, five percent of people that don't pay attention to anything. You could explain something seven million times the same way. You know that I, you tune into my shit, right? Right. I repeat the same thing all yep. the time. I yell at stupid questions. But you do did this. Yeah, it's fantastic. This this analysis on like 150 max players, you'll you'll have tweets, you'll show Fantasy Cruncher the rewind and whatever, and you'll show like oh they were they were 88 150 maxers yesterday and seven made a profit, and of the seven, two made where it came because the guy basically the person that won was the profit, and then like right. five others barely made any money, and then. 81 people lost money. Like it's, it's a common theme. You don't see how, how often do you see, uh, there was 114, 150 maxers, 77 made a profit and for like, like you never, right. But how come 
this whole notion of, well, you play 150 lineups, you can't lose. And it's like, dude, actually, you lose more often because right. you have to make up if you're playing if you're playing a ten dollar entry times one fifty, that's fifteen hundred dollars. Like, like tenth place is a thousand. So it's like you you need to. I, I completely understand where people get that notion. I mean, you see a lot of the one fifty maxers. It's like a, a a roulette wheel of one fifty maxers winning. It, it can feel like that. You know, I don't know if it really is like that. Um, but I can see where some new players would think that without doing any analysis and and that reviewing the the GPPs and the 150 masters that actually started, I guess it was three. I'm not really sure how the seasons are working with with COVID in the NBA and everything, but I, I'll say three three years ago or three seasons ago before COVID, uh, traveling for work, so a lot of free time. It was around the same time that I was listening to you at the beginning and and learning about game theory and stuff like that and. Uh, just figured, you know, get real into lineup study, look at what the good players are doing. So all this free time while I'm traveling for work, you know, I had hours to to do that stuff and study NBA DFS. And that got really better that year at NBA. And a big part of that was doing the tweets. And uh, it, it forced me to look at what the good players are doing and what 150 maxes are doing. And yeah, I guess that was the big thing. It just forced me to look at it because, you know, people were expecting me to tweet it out. And, uh Got a little following off that, so that was that was fun, and and that that helped a lot. Uh, looking at what good players do, right? Sure. Not looking at the winning lineup for the night, but looking what good players did. Right, exactly. Sometimes the sometimes you look. Sometimes we have these GPPs. You look at the top, and it's like single bullet, single bullet, single bullet, five, six, ten, single bullet, two bullets, and it's like you don't get to the first hundred fifty max until like a forty six place. I know on those nights. The donkeys won, right? <laughs> right, because there's there's enough sharp players that play 150 max. That because sure. that's where the that's where the whole perception comes in is that some someone that plays that many lineups, there may be in a contest maybe a hundred or so, but a hundred times 150 is fifteen thousand. I mean, that's a lot of lineups that are in in a contest that's only fifty thousand entries. Usually the NBA is about twenty to twenty three percent one fifty maxers. I think right, but when yeah. one of them wins, everyone else loses. Also, right? Yeah, so people much. are used to seeing like oh Royal Pain twenty one one, and then the next day Brick seventy five one, and then the Rin next Pass. day Giant Squid wins. The next day yep. Awesome O wins. The next day Oh uh-huh, Bro wins. They go all these guys are always wins. It's like no, the days that you win, Peter, are the days where Awesome O loses all his money. I mean like. Where yeah. all the other 150 maxers have lost. It's just that you're used to seeing the same like rotation of a, a hundred different names. So you could point, you could recognize them quicker, right? Like that. So right. you're like, oh, they, they win. Oh, Chipotle Attic went like, no, Chipotle Attic actually has not been having a good MLB season, I don't think. Well, hopefully posting those uh, lineup reviews on Twitter help people with that. Um, they don't. You know, seeing the, well, yeah, probably not. They but I, I know Come on. They don't. a couple of people <laughs> have mentioned it. That, oh, they don't win all the time, I guess. Um, but, yeah, and, and, you know, posting the top lineup is more about recognition. I post uh, a lot of times I'll post the optimal NBA lineup, which is usually ridiculous because no one would have ever played it. doesn't make any sense. But it's just funny to see even on the small slates the optimal is going to beat the winning lineup by like 20 points easily. It seems like, um, good luck coming up with that. Well, look at baseball. Imagine doing that for baseball. Well, yeah, it it doesn't seem to be any point in baseball to to post the winners just because it is so, 
unlike NBA. Right, because if, if you're if you're playing if you're playing a lineup of uh, the one 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 stack, I mean, <laughs> right, and you got the perfect combination of fifty k with the you know you got the six k pitcher that ended up with twenty seven points that was one percent <laughs> owned, and the forty the the, the chalk uh, pit, like and and the all the three home run guy like like dude like if if you have the if you could build that lineup consistently, right, like you would you can't you learn would, anything. Right, you you would be you would be an oracle. You would be. I mean, it's it's theoretic. Like uh, like uh, uh, Forsaken Jesse has right. said, mathematically, it's true. The optimal the optimal lineup in MLB is not stacked. Right. Sure. The oh, op- yeah. like if you want to try to hit the highest possible score, if that's your goal, is to hit the Don't highest stack. possible score, you should be playing all one off. It should be. Just play as many people that could hit the most home runs and, and just you're playing like a parlay almost under 50K. But the problem is, is that our goal in DFS is not to score the most points. It's to score more points than our opponents. So right. like you don't need the optimal lineup. You don't need safe thing for NBA. Do you, Oh, when people, you, you, must, you must see this all the time. Like who's getting the blowout run, Right. The game's going to be a massive blowout in the fourth quarter. All the G leaguers are going to play. I'm yep. going to play $3,000, whatever for that case, because every once in a while they'll, you'll see the optimal lineup and it'll be like some 12th guy off the bench that typically DNPs. But since you know, the warriors been down by 67 points at halftime or something like they played and it's like, well, no, I got to play more of those. Like, and people think like that. When in fact, most of the time you're, you're playing, you're, you're playing good players. You're playing like, it's like, you don't, you don't need that line. You like, dude, you don't need that lineup. Like that's right. not your goal. I totally agree. And that's why I refer people to, to watching your show because you talk about, well, because you review what good players do and especially in basketball. I mean, that's, you really have to do that to get better is you got to see what the good players are doing and they're not playing, you know, bench guys, uh, that are projected to get 10 or 12 minutes in the hopes that there's going to be a blowout and they're going to get a ton of run and produce, you know, one and a half points per minute when they're out there. It's just, no, not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen often enough. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's going to happen I'll, once I'll, in a while, but, yeah. and most of the time when it happens, they're so not owned that it's not even going to hurt you. There's anyway. just no reason to chase it. I think what surprised some people that look at my lineups is I don't get, that crazy in any sport. I don't feel like a lot of times with NBA, I feel like I'm making, uh, uh, I, I worry I'm making 150 cash, good cash lineups with maybe a change or two. Um, because I guess I don't get as leveraged as some other people. I don't make the big stands like people do. And I think that shows up in NBA. I don't, I don't take first, you know, real often. Um, you don't have to real off, but you don't have to. Yeah. I'm trying but to, you're also playing 150. Like, put- you you also need to return some often. equity with what you're playing because you're playing so many more lineups. Say again. You also have to return more equity when you play right. so many more lineups. Like, like you have to come in first like five times more often than I have to come in first because I'm playing so many lineups. Right. Yeah. As far as as far as the the ROI level is concerned. Well, I learned how to yeah I learned how to tread water pretty well uh, playing the NBA Mini Max for a long time, which is a tough tournament. It's probably um, tougher. It's probably tougher than the main GPP. I would think so. Yeah. Only because the amount of crazy lineups, 
Like, dude, yep. whatever that optimal lineup is, that it may be in that contest. Because <laughs> people don't realize, even though it's like a smaller entry fee, it's a low-limit entry fee, and the restricted players can't be in it, most mm-hmm. of the time it's a bigger field than in the main GPP. Sure. So, like, and that top lineup is going to have the highest score, and that's where you get the preconception where people have, it's like, dude, I would, I, I, you always see this for the single-entry high-stake stuff. When someone posts, like, oh, I won, I won NBA... Uh, the 222 for a hundred thousand dollars with a 354, and it's like the winning large field lineup is like 392. Right. It's like these fantasy these these sharp players are horrible players, right? That was look, frustrating to watch from the Minimax streets for sure. Right, right. You look at me, go. I'm looking at the lineups that I'm building. It's like, like, dude, you're playing against 200 people. You don't need you don't need a 400 yeah. point lineup. That's why they're not <laughs> building lineups that are have that high of a variance because they don't need to. Actually, last night, I think, uh, was it Chetabisk put up 412, I think, in the 888 NBA GPP? That would have right. won, like, everything, probably. Yeah, well, you beat the $20 by about 10 points. So you don't see that very often in the 888. It kind of flipped on its head. But I don't know what the minimax was. I'm sure it was over 400 easily. Um, but, yeah, there's some really good players in the minimax, and, and, you know, they're hungry. So kind of scary. You can, you I wouldn't can, want to be in there. You can't still play the minimax now. Oh, no, no, I'm not allowed. Right. It's it's off the screen. Right, I can't see uh, that either. I right. don't miss it. I mean, I don't miss it, but it it, uh, it helped a lot. But, you know, I think it's shaped how I play now, and there's something in there where I'm not getting as much leverage as the sharp players get. So my variance in NBA isn't as high. Um, and maybe I don't know how to describe it perfectly, but I don't compete as much as in NBA uh, you, as you, I would you, like you to. Tend, you, you probably tend to cash more lineups. Or get lineups in like the top twenty versus the top five. Exactly. So yeah, so, so you're not lo- you're you're having a lot of lot more nights that are like minus ten percent, minus fifteen percent versus right. minus forty percent, forty five percent type of line. Yeah, especially lately with how I mean, I found the NBA really difficult the last month or two. I, I mean, I would think it'd be the hardest it's ever been, and I was just getting beat up every night, um, and that's why I took a break from it. And they got lucky last night. But, yeah, it's definitely different for me. Like, you know, MLB, I'd have to check the, you know, roto tracker. But I think I had a lot more 1% finishes there than than NBA. Um, and that's just part of my process. It's tough to unlearn and and go for that leverage. And it's a different style of game. So I guess I'm worried if I switch to that style, it's going to be pretty costly uh, while I do it and learn it. So I don't know. Just keeping things status quo and it's working right now. So Right, but you came from the Minimax. I mean – you didn't yeah. just show up with a, ah, oh, here's a bunch of money and, and whatever. No, no. Yeah, you can look at my chart in, in Roto Tracker, and it's basically, you know, the early stuff, the 2013, 14 was really nothing. It's just a straight line. And then uh, 2016, uh, a little bump. And then I think it's 2018. It just kind of kind of took off. But you could do it. I mean, I, but yeah. your story is my story. The same thing. I started with 400 bucks. I did the same there you go. Right, same exact thing. I'm playing the 20 max three. I'm make. I'm still only making several. I mean, I'm tilting people because I'm making five lineups into the large field and coming in second for twenty thousand. <laughs> so it's like that's how you build the bank because I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to find the leverage, play f- six lineups, and if this team wins, if this team gets fourteen runs, well, yeah. come come, you know, and then and that's when the vomit stack started coming in, and it's like and if okay, it doesn't happen, on to the next slate. Right, on to the next slate. If the Marlins or the Pirates or the Tigers or the Mariners put up a lot of runs tonight, 
I'm going to make a lot of money. It's not going to happen most nights. So I'm just going to keep on coming back to it. Oh, oh, the SP2 is 40% owned and he's not that great. Okay, time to stack against him. Up, chalk right. out there. Next day, let's go. Let's move on to the next day. Uh, is there, I mean, the, you can still obviously still make money at DFS and come up from the lower, I don't know what we call them, lower tiers, lower leagues. But lower it's stakes, difficult. right? Lower stakes, yeah, thanks. I get a lot of questions on Twitter, um, and you can definitely tell just by the question. I'm sure you know uh, how sharp the player is or kind of how they're thinking about DFS, you know. Uh, anywhere from what bats do you like tonight or, you know, what do you think about Malik Monk? Uh, but then you'll get someone who asks more uh, MME questions that are more in my alley um, about ownership projections and um, what do you do? What are you going to do in this exact situation that's not based on what I think a player is going to do? It's more based on how I'm going to come up with 150 competitive lineups. Um, and those people, you know, I see them go on to make money. Whereas the other people, you know, a year later, they're still asking the same questions about you. Right, who do they're you still like asking tonight? me the same questions. They're yeah, coming, yeah. They're coming to me And, the and same of course, crap. they're usually big, big sports fans. And I tell people, if it wasn't for DFS, I wouldn't pay very close attention to sports. I'd watch some, you know, have a baseball game on in the background, but I wouldn't follow. And I don't really follow sports news now. So a lot of the stuff I see on Twitter, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You know, football drafts, stuff like that. No clue. Right. I, I'll, I'll figure out who was drafted. Uh the Thursday before the first yeah. regular season slate of NFL. Exactly. Right? I'll figure out who's on what team at that point, right? I just uh, I just found out last night, I guess, that Francisco Lindor is no longer a Cleveland Indian. I guess he's on the Mets now. <laughs> you didn't even know he, he signed like a $300 million contract with the Mets. No, yeah. I, I was thinking Lindor, you know, he's an Indian for sure. He's been there forever. And then I was just randomly looking at lineups last night and um, – and I, I, I did not stack the Indians last night. And I saw Lindor, and I was like, what's he doing in there? And, you know, on the DK, on the app, it, it's kind of tough to tell sometimes what team they're on, unless you know. And, right. and I know who most people are on. But, yeah, it slowly dawned on me that Lindor is now with uh, the, the Mets, I believe. It's, it's one month into the season. And yeah. now you now, didn't realize that Lindor was not on the Well, he hasn't done very well, I don't think. No, well, you're right. He hasn't showed up in any winning lineups, right? So why would you, right? I've kind of written him off anyway. But I I had Lindor in that bucket. Like, Cleveland's overrated. They're not a great team anymore. That's what I was thinking as I built lineups a bit last night, only to to find out that Lindor is not a Cleveland Indian at all. Right, well, that he was in my Mets stacks. That's the level you're dealing with here. Right. (laughs) But but it shows that you – do you really need to know that – that much yeah. the projections are that that that's what that's what they they do for you like it's just numbers and names on a spreadsheet now yep. uh coming from the mini max up up the ranks been playing for quite a while now it you're playing at a level where like i would consider like i don't i it's very hard to categorize me because i i think i'm in the middle of two like i'm not i'm not i'm not Low stakes, but I'm not high. Like I'm not like like I'm playing some cash games, but I'm also playing GPPs. I have my whole cash game. You know, I'm just plugging in optimals and just like the the whole season. I I see the cash game strategy working out for you. Yeah, well, well, in NBA it did. MLB, I'm I'm gotta make make my way back. It's a long season. Grind for me the cash. I just don't. It just doesn't interest me at all. No, it doesn't interest me at all either. But it just. If if I could just press a button and put the lineups in and just can I get a seven percent return at the like, sure. okay okay like that that's how I'm viewing it I'm spending most of my time on GPPs 
But right. you're you're playing at I would I would consider you a high stakes player now. Like a high a high volume at the at the volume that you're playing. Uh, it's kind of turned into that this last year. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. It's like because I because I followed your play last year, and it's like okay, substantial volume, but not high. And I don't, and I you know I you could say or not say whatever you want about your own finances. You know me, I'm completely transparent, but I don't right. have to expect everyone to be. But I see you playing, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a slate. I don't know about that. I've seen. I, I've I have 40. seen it. Uh, I've had a so yeah. I, I kind and of then you then you start to look button. and go go. Is this is is this sustainable? Right. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's some big outlay. Uh, that one screenshot I posted, I kind of regret now. I think it had twenty three thousand. As right. Uh, so I, as so you, you can't say that I'm not I'm not making something up. Well, I don't think I've done forty. I know I've done a couple that were in the twenties this year. Uh, last night with basketball and and baseball. I think I was around the twenty mark again, and those are those are high up there. Um, so, what's the question? Is it sustainable? So, I because all all I've seen a whole bunch of hundred k wins. So I don't know. I don't know what the status right. of your bankroll. Like I'm trying to compare. Like like to me, I'm transparent. I have about a, a hovering around a two hundred thousand dollar bankroll, and okay. for and I'm playing like like. Two thousand in cash, a thousand in GPP. Like I'm, I'm playing like one and a half percent total. Now my cash, okay. I treat separately. I put twenty thousand dollars aside. I'm playing ten percent of that, and that's my that's that's basketball. That that's that's cash. Like so, it's hard for me to even put that percentages. Like that's like a separate. Well, I have thing. up my bankroll quite a bit since since last year. Um, I think last year I didn't even play the eighty eight dollar tournament, um, but now I'm maxing that out regularly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, You're maxing out the. You went from not playing it yeah. to maxing it out at eighty eight dollars. Uh, like, what's yeah? Are you, do, you have, do you have five million dollars? I mean, like that. That to me, like, I, the knit in me is like, like, dude, I'm, I'm like tonight. I, I think I have twelve hundred dollars in entries into the into GPPs in baseball, and I have, a, mm. I have like a two hundred thousand dollar bankroll. Like. Like that's how a, many entries? How many entries do you have in the fifteen hundred dollar two fifty to first tonight? Not zero. <laughs> right. How many do you? Me either right now. I'm contemplating it. Uh, really? So you're contemplating? But well, a couple. I'm not going to max it out. That'd be no, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, maybe I'll have a couple, but I won't max <laughs> it out. Like I don't have z. I have zero. Like I, I have a d. De- to most people, two hundred thousand dollars is is a big bankroll. But to me, based on the math of the, of DFS. I I don't I don't think it's a big I I I, I, I look I look if you're playing surprise variance just playing two grand a night. I'm, my a, goal is to make minutes. my goal is to make fifty to seventy five thousand dollars a year. Okay. So if I could do it by being the least risk possible and still achieving that, isn't that the dream? It depends. Well, you broke up. What's what is the dream? The the dream is that no, you broke up. The 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 dream. Is to like my goal is to make fifty to seventy five thousand dollars a year in DFS, with yes. as little risk and as little time as possible. Gotcha. So like that's if, if that's if that's my goal, then why then why am I playing ten thousand dollars? Like yes, I could. I probably left a ton of money on the table. I've said that plenty right. of times. I could one hundred fifty max. I could, but is my goal to make five hundred thousand? Is am I trying to maximize for a million dollars? Am I 
The same thing with, uh, with all the stuff that's going in in NFTs and cryptos or whatever. There's tons of money to be made. There's also tons of risk that people don't seem to get. That someone's right. going to be holding the bag. If you could navigate it and not be holding the bag, you could make a lot of money. Dogecoin, people are buying for no fucking reason, right? But if you could buy it and sell it higher to some other idiot, the greater fool theory, yeah. God bless you. I... If I was more risk, risk, uh, you know, if I wasn't as risk averse, I'd be doing that. I'd be spending all day in top shots trying to sell this, pack that, dude, <laughs> and you could make money. I get it, but from a, from a time horizon of twenty years, I think I it's short term thing. I think it's short term thinking. So, uh, so with bankroll management, you're talking about bankroll, right? Management. I'm talking about bankroll. I, I'm but, I'm 42 years old. I, I we're not young. We're not young, young, right? I'm I don't know how old yeah. you are. 44. Like, I'm not at the point where I, if you're 23. And you want to throw around money? You have the time horizon to like, if you lose a million dollars, you right. can get that back. But like, I'm at the point where, like, I could, I could, I could make, I could make the money that I could make my nut playing one percent of my bankroll per night, and mm-hmm. then not have the stress of like, well, if I blank tonight, then it's one percent. I know, I know, I, I know several other sharp players that play like ten percent a night. And they, they, and they would even say that, yeah, when, when I, those downswings are, are, are brutal mentally. Yeah. Right. So like, sure. So I look at that. It's like, why do, what? I had a period last year that was months. I'd have to look it up on Tracker, but it was months long downswing and it sucked. Um, you know, bankroll management. I've, it's never been my strong suit. That's for oh, sure. Okay. Okay. So you're, at least you're admitting that's perfectly oh, fine. Yeah. Admit, well, admit it's have... like it's not your strong suit. Okay. Well, oh yeah, no, it's not my strong suit. Uh, you know, the, the mini max was seventy five dollars a slate to do one hundred and fifty lineups. So, you know, if you lose seventy five bucks, that's not a big deal. Um, but when it's eighteen dollars uh, on GP, eighteen dollars on DraftKings, sometimes. Yeah. So I mean, you're talking uh, about twenty seven hundred dollars. Right. So I come from um, you know a trading background. Finance is kind of what I've been in. Uh, I'm used to taking on risk. Um, I was comfortable playing, you know, 23,000 that night. Uh, this, I'm kind of, you know, I'd say I'm on a heater and the, the way I've always played is if you're, if you're on a heater, you should press your luck. Yeah, but that's, so you I, know, you know, that doesn't make any mathematical sense. I know it doesn't make any okay. mathematical <laughs> sense, but, uh, I've made a lot more money this month than I have in my whole DFS career. And, uh, if I had lost all 23 that night. It wouldn't have materially affected my life. Um, I kind of are you familiar with uh, trailing stops? Yeah. In in stock trading, right. okay. So in in so things you, like this, okay, I have you, a you explain it. Like like you're you're the I know what it means, but you explain it. Okay. Yes. Well, so uh, the, the trailing stop is basically a place where I'll cut way down on risk, and it rises with my balance. So say my balance on DK is fifty thousand um, dollars. If it drops down, well, I don't know if it'd be a good example, but if you know, if I played, if it drops down below thirty, say, I have a plan to to cut my action way back to basically what it was, get out of the high stakes, and then as my balance, you know, maybe it goes to a hundred thousand, I'm going to raise that, uh, what I call a trailing stop, to more like eighty thousand. So that twenty grand from a hundred to eighty grand is is play money. You know, it's house money. I'm looking to to push it and. Uh, see what I can do to make it grow. But if, I, but if I drop below 80, my whole mindset changes. 
you know, I withdraw some, I, I get out of the high stakes for a while. And uh, that's kind of the plan. Um, right. and especially in the, in the, the stock market, had, that's right, why stock, I messed up so much. Right. And the stock market, a trailing stop is like if you have, uh, if a stock's at 100 bucks and you put a trailing stop at 20%, that means like at 80 bucks. It goes in at 80. And if the stock goes up to 200, it'll be at 160 60, at that point. Right, right. You don't have to touch it. And if the stock drops down to 160, it stays where it is. And boom, you get out at one fifty nine something probably. Right, right, right. Because uh, you're not yeah. going to be able to get out of the exact number. Right. So is, is, uh, that, is that is that I mean is that you is that your regular job? Is finance part of your regular job? Do you have a yeah, regular job? I do. I am not a pro. I have a job. Uh, it's work from home right now, um, which has been great. Um, do you remember Scott Trade Brokerage Firm? Scott no. Trade. Oh, Scott that Trade. No, no, I know Scott. That from back in the day, I I, yeah. I I didn't work on that site. I I was a web developer during that. That oh, okay. time, like like I don't know if you know you remember Sure Trade. Sure Trade. Sure Trade. I don't think so. Okay, that was the big site. That was the big site I worked on. Or obviously, uh, Ameritrade, which yep. then became TD Ameritrade. Like Bank of America bought so many of these companies, and it all consolidated all all the sites that I worked on for the stock trading back in like ninety nine two thousand. Like they don't like they don't exist anymore. Like TD Ameritrade existed, but like I worked on the Ameritrade. Gotcha. Before they merged, right? Like that. That's how. That's a long back that I go. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I've always been in finance. Was uh, in 90, 98, I think I, I went to work with uh, Charles Schwab in Denver, and uh, then traded some in Chicago, and then ended up uh, managing a Scott Trade branch for about ten years or so. And now I'm a, I'm a compliance examiner. I moved over to compliance. Um, I'm a compliance examiner for a broker dealer. So I audit financial advisors and we're doing that all remotely right now. Um, so is, is, is any, that's my main job. Uh, do, do we have to give the disclaimer then for this podcast that none of this is financial advice? None of this is financial advice. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you do? Is that what you do? Do you stop by on podcasts? Do you stop by on lulls and make sure they're not giving financial advice? No, I'm more like I make sure they're not doing YouTube videos without running it by compliance first, things like that. Okay, so you're you're working for the company. I mean, you're not you're not with the SEC type of cl- like. Right. No, I'm working for a broker dealer that uh, that owns other broker dealers. So it's like a network of seven thousand financial advisors or something. And we got it. We're required to see one uh, at least uh, every three years. We're required to see them. Right. So you're uh, just making sure that. You're they're, following that you're, the that you're they're following it, not that you're enforcing anything. Exactly. Right. We're just making sure they're they're doing everything by the rules and not screwing over any customers and right. and not doing anything weird, you know, out there and wherever they are all by themselves running a, their own branch. Yeah, we just make sure everything's normal. Right. So maybe you should go work for Vegas Dave. Vegas Dave? Right. Said so teach him compliance. <laughs> I'm not. Tell me about that. You don't know Vegas Dave. It's not coming to mind. Oh no! You you watch lulls and you don't know Vegas. He's he's a, he's a sports betting tout that is just insanely fraudulent. Oh, maybe my mind switches off when they start. To, I haven't seen everyone, but it's on. I'm subscribed. Right. <laughs> he might have me. That guy might have me blocked on Twitter. Actually, I'm not really. Certain. What Brian? What oh. Rick? No, 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 Vegas. Oh, Vegas Day. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm not a fan of sports betting. Um, I'm just not a fan. You know, are you not a fan of sports betting because it's not peer to peer? 
Yeah, well, I mean, that, the house is always going to have the edge. How are you going to beat the house over time? I, I don't like it because there's no – I don't feel like there's any kind of edge. Well, there's edge on the market. I mean, isn't isn't the betting market the same as the stock market? Stock market is a betting market. So what makes the, what makes the stock market that there be an edge in the stock market, but be no edge in sports betting markets? Say how could there be? Yeah, what what if you 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 would say that that investing in the stock market would be you you'd be fine with that, but not in the sports betting market. Couldn't there just be the same type of inefficiencies? If there's inefficiencies uh, in the stock market, there has to be inefficiencies in the sports betting market. I'm sure there are inefficiencies. I don't have the experience or the inclination to get involved in it enough to find any. And uh, unfortunately for you, instead of stocks, I'm more of a crypto guy myself. So. Oh, no. That's where all your money came from. <laughs> I've been a fan of uh, yeah, crypto for a while, and it's uh, it's been a good year. It's good For now, it's just one... Just one for now, long, it's all going to fall apart any day. One long journey to zero. That's one right. long journey to zero. That's... It's been a hell of a ride, at least. We'll right. Well, happens. sell while you're ahead. Get the hell out of there. Uh, maybe. Isn't maybe. there some dude I just saw on Twitter? Is this true? Is there some dude that has an $18 billion wallet of Dogecoin? Oh, yeah, I think so. I'm sure. Dogecoin is a joke. It's embarrassing that it's above 50 cents. And well, that, well, that's the. If you have $18 billion, why, why do you. Is that person dead? What happened to that guy? Right, I'd be selling a fire him. I don't know. Well, but basically, once he once if he liquidates, like the, the, it goes down to a penny. I mean, like right, with that much. Yeah. I I mean I don't think I don't I I don't follow those, so I don't know the volume and everything. But I would think to start liquidating that position would definitely cause a market crash. You know, just finding bidders. I don't know what the bid ask is like with Doge, or where all the volume is. But, but yeah, that would be a thing to begin with. And the thing with crypto is you can actually see those people moving the coins around on the blockchain. You know, there's alert services you can get, hey, you know, 10 billion Doge just moved. And even the act of just moving it from one wallet to another, if people think that's in preparation to to selling, then we'll see a big dip. And yeah, I'd like to see Doge down to zero for sure. That'd be nice. Uh, are you into the NFTs? No, I I tried with Top Shots. Uh I got like nine top shots. I think they're worth maybe like 40 bucks. Um, got a few packs. I think I'm called a rent seeker on Wolves. I think I heard that term. I just, I was looking for good ones and then put them up in the market. You know, I made a little money and took it out. It only took about six weeks to get my money out. So that was nice. <laughs> and then I was going to get into the tops baseball uh, NFTs. I was ready, man. I was going to, I did buy packs. They charged my card and everything, but I didn't get them. You know, they took them back and that just kind of, Ruined it, so now I'm off they, NFTs. They took back the packs. I thought well, they were no, giving. I thought they, I thought they were giving out wooden coins or something like that. That was the first thing, but then the next day they had a big pack sale. Uh, what they would do is they charge your credit card, and then a few hours later they refunded it. And because uh, it's such a mess, you know, when they they were selling packs they didn't have, I guess, or all the bots bought them. How could they not have packs? They don't exist. <laughs> They're not real. They're not physical. The How do they not exist? <laughs> What is real, though, right? What is real? I don't know. What is real? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, do you have any NFTs, any crypto? No, like? I've no, no, zero. I'm a no coiner, no minter, you no, no, you know, you know what yeah. I got? I'll take a look. I got, I got a lot of, uh, apple I got, juice. I got, oh, I got, I got apple juice. Oh I, I got a lot of, uh, I got a, a lot of, uh, energy stocks. I got okay. med. I got so some like medical stuff. Some health. Like some, I got obviously S and P, right? 
just the standard, you know, like Vu instead of Spy or whatever, whatever the Vanguard mm-hmm. version, right? I, I that's what I, I, uh, I industrials industrials are doing well this year. I got some industrials, right? Yeah. Right. I got the sports betting stuff. That's my high risk stuff. That's the you know DraftKings stock bets, like the red. Oh the, yeah, there you go. Like that. Yeah. I, right. See, I can take on some risk, but for the most like part, I'm just buy, I'm buying the stock. But I'm buying you know. I'm 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 not I'm allocating it whatever way I want. Like I saw some of the Russell 2000, you know, just you know you rotate. Like I have a lot of the value, like the stuff that that exploded this year. I have less of, and the stuff that was down last year, I have more of. Like that's you're not I, a dog I, the Dow guy, are you? Dogs of the Dow? No, well the Dow is what sixteen stocks. Who cares about the Dow? Right, <laughs> right. The Dow. You might as well just get a VTI and you're done and whatever. You, you, yeah, you, sure, sure. I'm, 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 I'm closer. I'm not a boglehead, but I'm, cl- I'm. You could, if, if, if I were to say, if, if, uh, if I, if I would have told you I was a boglehead, you would completely believe that, right? A boglehead. A boglehead. You don't know that term, Jack Bogle, yeah. Vanguard, the, the founder of Vanguard. Okay. So typically, bogleheads are saying are, that you're like all Vanguard. No, or, or, no just all eat all mutual fund ETFs and holding basically just holders of just like world index and just hold it for twenty five years. Gotcha. Like typically, that's you. what a boglehead. Okay. I thought you worked for Scott Trade. You would know these type of terminologies. <laughs> Apparently not. No. How, how often? How often is Diamond Hands being uh, it, like th- those are the terms that don't exist in like the real investing world, right? Right, yeah, no. Not, Diamond not hands, paper hands. That just came out in the last uh, year, I guess. Right. Salad hands came out a couple of weeks ago. Salad? What are salad hands? That's just where you can't hold anything. It was made for that. Uh, <laughs> some guy did it for Dave Portney. Who, you know, he got into Bitcoin and then sold it a couple of days later for a loss, like at 30, and now he's watching it go up. He's And he did a whole picture with salad hands, just can't hold on to anything. So Isn't Eli- Elon Musk is paper hands. Yeah. Did he, didn't Tesla dump a whole bunch of their Bitcoin? Ten uh, percent, I believe. Okay. Uh, and according to Elon, it was just to prove that liquidity existed, to pr- <laughs> prove it as a concept. Should that guy be so, in jail? I mean, come Elon on, Musk? you're you're a compliance. Okay, you have to tell me you're you're in compliance. Yeah. You have to tell you you have to admit that what Elon Musk does has to be illegal. Oh, like when he's tweeting and it, it affects things, and the SEC investigates him and whatnot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's an issue. I mean, he's a powerful guy. I don't know. I haven't followed the details. Uh, I know he got in trouble a couple of years ago for sure, but I don't know what the what the penalties were or if there were even any. I know he made fun of the SEC afterwards on Twitter, so maybe he's untouchable at this point. I mean, he's got He's spaceships. too big to fail. Yeah. I mean, he did what? PayPal, SpaceX, Tesla. Right. He's South African, is that right? I have no idea. Maybe. I think so. Yeah. So, Yeah. I don't know. Quite a guy. A lot of money. I don't know what his deal is with Doge, though. I don't know why he likes Doge. Uh, also, he he must love the fact that Bill Gates is getting a divorce. I saw that. That 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 means one less person for him to compete against the richest man in the world because Melinda's going to get half his money. <laughs> I guess right? so. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. I think that's like sixty-five billion dollars or something. Well, surely Elon's not concerned about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about these people. Right. Well, no one does. It's, 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 you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Windows, right? Right. <laughs> but that that that's the that's going to be the cost, most costly divorce in 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 world history. It's going to be something. Right. Okay. Chunk yardage on Twitter. 
I don't, Chuck Yard, it's just, it seems like you just create names and just like, there's no real need, need I don't, reason. Well, I was going to say, uh, maybe only Jesse has more names than I do around, but I don't know why it took Chuck Yardage. I think uh -huh, bro was taken maybe at that time. Maybe it still is. I think you have that issue, right? There's someone with my, my someone real with name. Blenderhead and they don't, they, they haven't have... tweeted in years. Right. Twitter said they were going to dump all those so we could, we could claim them, but I don't think they have. No. Um, but yeah, basically I had a personal Twitter and I just wanted a, a Twitter that was DFS focused and I think uh -huh, bro was taken. I think it was kind of a weird. No, it's actually, it's, you, you could take it now. Really? It, I just tried to go to a uh -huh, bro on Twitter and says this account doesn't exist. Oh, well, there you go. So you got to change, you got to change it now. Maybe. Uh, the, you know, the chunk yardage was, I think football was probably on and the announcer was talking about chunk yardage plays or something. I was like, oh, that'll work. That's how you come up with the. It's so personal, and you're just like, what? Well, uh, whatever was on. Yeah. Maybe it's Maybelline, and that that's that's your that's your that's your. It's just okay. That's I'm what horrible, I heard on the commercial. I'm, creating names. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, not a particularly sharp guy, especially with uh, creating names. <laughs> so it works, and yeah, I didn't know. You know, the Twitter stuff. I didn't know it would grow like that. It's fun to interact with people, so I definitely fed that and enjoy the interaction. But uh, yeah, I wish I could. Do the naming and and whatnot over again, right? Because I'm I'm assuming that uh, in in your normal life, like no one no one has any clue about DFS or any of this. You know that's interesting. Uh, some of my close friends do definitely, and my family does. Uh, you know, my mom and dad like to they ask me how I'm doing and like to root on. Uh, you know, like what what pitcher should I watch or or something like that. Right. Um, but, so none, no, but no one to talk daily as far as like strategy, like. Like as far I was as... thinking about that today before I talked to you is that I've watched videos of DFS personalities talk about, you know, for hours and hours and hours for years and years and years. But no, I haven't had a regular voice discussion with anyone regarding DFS possibly ever. This might be the first time. <laughs> the first time. So it's a new, it's a new experience. Yeah. It's all been one way until now. Yeah. Well, now it's that, isn't it better? Isn't it? It's not scary. Nope. No, not at all. Right. And then you get then we have discords, and you could talk to people on Twitter. Typically, Twitter is just yelling at each other back and forth, and then you go into right. Discord, and it's just faster and more efficient fast. yelling at each other. Yeah, and Discord, uh, depending on which one you're you're in, uh, can be funnier than Twitter. Get some good laughs in there. Right, because you don't have to worry about like public perception of anyone. <laughs> you can say what you want. Yeah, a little, a little bit more. Yeah, but then anyone could could cut and paste and just oh look what someone else said. Set on whatever you have to be pay attention to that stuff, but that's uh, how you start getting blocked. Yeah, but I don't. But but I I don't I don't take Twitter seriously. Like obviously I want to promote my shit. You know, like what I mean, like yes, sure. I, I put out content, whatever. But for the most part, I think there's so many people that take it a little too seriously. Probably I have a, I use TweetDeck, and you know I have all the the groups up there, but. I've kind of gotten out of the habit of following the DFS feed uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, so I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of good tweets. Now, there hasn't it's, been any boxing matches set up or anything. There haven't been good? Anything. Okay. You're not, you're not, yeah. trust me. You're not, you're not. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. And I stare at my phone, you know, like 800 times a day. It's just, you got to cut back sometimes. So I'm, maybe someone will give me a heads up next time something happens on Twitter and then I'll jump back in. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, but I'll I never have much to say. Right. All the funny people are on Twitter and they're already saying stuff, so it's it's good good time. Okay, well people can follow you at Chunk Yardage. 
on Twitter. Uh-huh, Junkyard, bro, they yeah, can see they can, Right, they for uh-huh. Right. And if they, if they, if they they don't want to follow you there. They could follow you at the top of the leaderboards in any contest in DFS for the past couple of months, right? Hopefully, hopefully. yeah. Hopefully they'll see me up there. Yeah. So so thanks yeah. thanks for coming on. This the the first. If people didn't know who a hub row is, now they know a hub row. I have no idea who is, I was. I think a lot of people will be surprised. They'll be surprised, and and you'll and, and I know I know I know you're a good player. When most of this conversation was about how you're not sharp and you just got lucky because that truthfully that that's like, it's just like, I do what I do and whatever happens happens. And over this long period of time, this number says that I'm profitable. So right. I guess, but for any individual contest, uh, okay. That it's like, it, I guess we'll it happened it, today. Like it's, right? In baseball, I obviously don't expect this to keep up. I think I'm getting, Getting lucky here in the first month, and by the end of the year, it's going to even out. But but we'll see. Right, we'll see. But yeah, by by the, by 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 August and September, right? You'll be you'll be back in the mini max. Maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should take a few months off. Right. No, you have to. No, what you'd have to do is anytime uh, you'd have to always take a week off of anything. Yeah. So you're only going to play like 52 times a year because you're taking a week off and then winning. And then there coming you go, back. But- you, you don't think there's anything about getting into the groove of, of the schedule of, of it didn't DFS? Seem to, it didn't seem to matter for you in basketball. That's true. Right. Well, sometimes when you take time off and come back, you do better. Right. So you have to you have to go back and forth. So what you have to do what you do. You you take a week off. You come back and bink, and then you ride out the heater because you got to double your volume. There you go. Right. And then once you get the trailing stop of twenty percent, then you take the week off again. Well, see, NBA, I won't double my volume because whenever I go into high stakes NBA, I get absolutely crushed. Not even close. So I'll stick with the 150 max, uh, the $20. Um, I mean, $3,000 is a lot for one, uh, for one slate there in basketball. I'll stick with that. Baseball, though, high stakes is fun. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see you in those streets. And, uh, I hope so. And uh, you, you, you'll provide the, the best testimonial. Did Lastly, uh, was Brian Hooper right? Did I create a monster? <laughs> you, yeah, we didn't talk too much about that. Um, I definitely credit you with with changing my game. I think soon after finding you on Periscope, I think it was uh, football slates originally, mm. but it went into different things. And I searched YouTube and I found your old YouTube stuff. Uh, the state of the DFS industry video was was pretty great. Um, and it, it, it changed my game. I mean, it, how I approached DFS and it definitely helped me, um, bank, a bank, a few tournaments that helped me get a bankroll, you know, the, well, I don't know specific tournaments, but yeah, it's right. It so many, you've won helped. so many that you don't remember which one. <laughs> well, it's, it's tough to give credit, you know, for individual tournaments like that, uh, when it's more of just like an overall theory of how to approach it. But listening to people talk about this stuff it really helps me uh, build lineups. And uh, listening to you especially has made a big difference. So uh, you're at least uh, partially responsible for creating a monster, I guess. Okay, so I, I got I to gotta, I gotta be more quiet. I got to shut up. Well, I think we had a discussion a while back. Uh, you know, why are you telling everyone all this stuff? And you said that no one will listen to you except for maybe just a couple of people. And I actually have a guy like that now in Twitter. Um, I won't, I won't drop his name, but he was just a a random person asking random questions about a year ago. 
and now he's crushing it in pretty much all sports and is super sharp. So right, but I'm happy but, for him, but, but it's also annoying. Right, but you but you but you have to admit that you're gonna talk to ten people and nine of them you could explain oh. the same thing seven hundred times and it's just it's never gonna Well, I've talked to a hundred and this is like the only guy I, okay. that I <laughs> that's, that's done well. Yeah. I'm not yeah, I'm not a teacher, trust me on that. Right, <laughs> but but you are you know you uh, you're able to get these points across um, concisely where they make sense, and like I say, kind of formulate what I had in my head, but hadn't been able to verbalize, and that and that really helped me. So um, yeah, definitely appreciate you being on the scene and and uh, what you do for DFS. Yeah, and same for you with uh, all the analysis you do on Twitter, and and oh, hopefully hopefully yeah I I'll, I'll get win I can win first over you one of these one of these slates. As long as I'm making money, I don't have to win first. I'll win second 74 times. I don't mind. Well, I hope you get uh, second behind me, right? No, no. You want to wish me 151st place, really. Well, what I was going to say is if I have 150, I hope you get 151st. Right. To 251st, right? Is that how that works? Right. That's what it's supposed to be. I hope. But you're not. That's never going to end up happening because your lineups aren't correlated that much together. That's true. Right. Never really, from a realistic perspective. You're never going to get one through 150 with with the diversification that you play. That is definitely one thing I look at is how how my 150 are spread out on each slate and kind of look at it as its own organism. And as it refreshes, you can kind of get a feeling on how the night's going or what might be happening with your 150 just based on how that moves, if that makes any sense. No, no, I understand. Okay. Yeah. If, if people want to understand more about the game theory of DFS, obviously... Go to the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.